you'll turn with me again to Deuteronomy. I'd like to just revisit a few thoughts that uh, we didn't cover this morning. Deuteronomy, chapter 4. I'll just read uh, the first four verses, uh, and then we'll pray and go on from there. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live. And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God. Wait, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Every one of you. And Father, once again, as we visit this passage, we ask you to open our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us. Lord, it's troubling to see the distress, the troubles, the trials that these people of God went through so long ago because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience. And yet, you being the merciful God that you are, you gave them second chances and second second chances and many times you've demonstrated your patience waiting for these wayward sheep to return to yourself and father we relate to this as we consider the importance of your word this evening and its help in keeping us in our hearts and our minds focused on you walking with you fully pleasing you in our lives father we We ask that you would uh, enlighten us, challenge us, encourage us along this path. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Appropriate song for us to end on. Standing on the promises of God. That's really what Moses was calling the people to. For those who weren't with us this morning, we were coming back to our historical journey of the Israelites as they are on their way to the promised land and they're finally getting close to entering in. Moses, though, is not going to be able to join them and so he's giving uh, a series of messages that are at the end of his life. It's his last word and challenge to the people of Israel, a new generation. And as I said this morning, it was his heart, his reminder of the word of God that they would cling to it and hold to it and be obedient. But I should have mentioned was also a, uh, a reaffirmation of, their, of the covenant that they had with, with them and God. And that's something very important to remember. right? It was back when God first brought them out of Egypt. And He gave them the law there on the mountain that they entered into a covenant with God. He basically said, here is my law. Here is what is right and true and just. And you're going to be accountable for that. And of course, they committed to following it. They, they, they wanted to, but they didn't. And, and the whole record of their, their journey is evidence that they couldn't. 
And we can, right? But at the same time, God was making promises to them. And what he wanted to bring them back to was a remembrance of their own failure, that they would come back and fall on the mercy and grace of God and fear him. But also that they would look to him for the hope that he brings because of that relationship that he had with them. And that's really where we stand, isn't it? As people who found we have failed, we have not kept God's law. And we are accountable to that law. It's not a matter of whether we, you know, and, and <clears throat> sometimes it sounds like we're asking people to sign up to be obedient to God. Uh, but the reality is we're told many times, Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we are accountable to God. John chapter 3, if we have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God remains upon us because we're guilty. We're accountable to Him. And so we find ourselves in the place of the people of Israel who were wandering. They could not enter in because of their unbelief. And that generation has passed away and now a new generation has come along. And Moses is indeed reminding them of the law that God gave so that they could draw near to him and they could uh, walk with him as they entered into the promised land. We saw in chapter 1 that Moses was reviewing their journey. How they came out of Egypt and went to Sinai, Mount Horeb as he calls it. And uh, God, after they spent that time there, 11 days journey after they finally left, they were on the verge of entering to the, the land and God said, go in and possess it. He gave them the command and they knew the command, but they were not willing to obey. They sent spies. They were hesitant. The report came back. It was a good land, but they were discouraged because of the report of the challenges and they rebelled. They did not believe God that he would take them in and they found themselves now wandering for 38 more years, not able to enter into what God had given them as their possession, as their inheritance, and they did not enter into it. And so this morning we were challenged to consider this from chapter 1 especially. They did not, uh, they doubted his word. They uh, did not, they doubted his goodness. They denied his word and they disobeyed his will. And we have to face the same challenges. Our circumstances may come against us uh, and cause us to question God. But he is good. Even at our worst, he gave his son to die for us and we can be confident of his goodness. We can believe his word. It is absolutely inerrant and we can count on his promises. He will do what he said. Now, <clears throat> after Moses recounts this with them, chapter 2 comes along. And we didn't really talk about these this morning. But I felt that this is something worth noting. As we look at the, the chapter 4, the passage we read at the beginning of this meeting, is a challenge to them to receive the word of God, to keep his commandments, right? But it also says, do not add or take away from it. And 
that's a very serious challenge because it's easy for us to either forget and we leave something out or in our attempts to try to work in the flesh what we're not resting in God to do we can add to God's commands and we find ourselves in trouble but the importance of following God's command notice now we come back to chapter 2 after talking about where they were chapter 2 Moses is speaking to this new generation he says then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me we skirted Mount Seir for many days and the Lord spoke to me saying you've skirted this mountain long enough now turn northward And command the people, saying, You're about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Now, you see, the first time uh, when, when we read this story, they wanted to go through the land, and the descendants of uh, uh, Esau did not let them. They had to actually go around it, and they were very discouraged because of that, too. It was difficult along the journey. But now, as they're going, he says, I'm going to take you to where you can enter the land. And they've got to now take this course. And sorry, I didn't bring the map, right? But if you remember the the Dead Sea here, the Jordan River up to the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jerusalem and Jericho are right here across the eastern side of uh, the Jordan. But they've had to come from Egypt and they couldn't just come up here. They've got to come around. And so he tells them as they come around through Edom, first of all, He says, verse 5, Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. He says, You shall buy food from them, and with money you may eat. You shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all your work, all the work of your hands, and he knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. He says, Don't worry about having to pay them for this. It's their water, their food. You go ahead and pay them. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about that. But he also says, don't mess with them. Yes, they may have provoked you. You may be upset about their decision. But he says, I'm not going to give you any of their land. Don't challenge them. Now, this is interesting. The problem with the previous generation is God said, go up and possess the land. Attack the people. And they said, "Ah, no. Now, they rebelled by not obeying God. But if you recall, and Moses went over this actually at the end of chapter 1, after they realized that God said, no, no, now you're going to wander for 38 years, they said, well, we're ready now, we're ready now, we'll go up. And they, geared, they got themselves all in battle array, and they said they were going to go up, and God said, no, 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 don't go. I'm not going to be with you. They're just going to chase you off, defeat you. But they were determined, no, no, you told us to go, we're going to go. And they set out. But the Lord said, I'm not among you. And like bees, they chased them off. And it was a defeat that day. And then they had to wander. So part of the lesson here is obeying the word of the Lord. It's not just, okay, we're supposed to possess it, so let's just go attack. He says, I'm going to take you through here. This is not your inheritance, so you don't attack. Is it right what they did? No. But... I've taken care of you this far. I'm going to continue to take care of you, God says. So trust me. And this is part of their training, right? Learning to depend on God. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God. This is what the previous generation did not do. But see, he was testing them and he was proving them and he was building their faith. 
At least that's the design, right? So he says, I want you to go through and don't challenge them. Watch yourselves carefully. It'd be easy for that anger to boil up and you just spill out against them, right? But they did it. They walked through and they left them alone. Then we go to the next part of the chapter and verse 9 says that they were coming through the wilderness of Moab. These are one of the groups of the descendants of Lot. And the Lord said to them, verse 9, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I've given heir to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And it talks about the people who lived there, some of them being these giants, the sons of the Anakim. They were in that land. And he said, don't even try to attack them. This is the inheritance of the people of the descendants of Lot, the people of Moab, and I'm not going to take that territory away from them. You just pass by them. And so they did. And then verse 16 tells us they, when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, there it is, it's just, just the new generation now. The Lord spoke to me saying, now I want you to cross over at Er, at the boundary of Moab, and they're going to come to the people of Ammon. And he says, do not harass or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of that land, because they also are the descendants of Lot, and that is going to be their possession. So, they were probably a little bit glad not to attack there because there were giants in the land. And sure enough, the people of Ammon did conquer them. And there's that famous um, uh, battles they mentioned, some of them here. And so, now they come past there. And verse 24 says, Now rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. And look, I have given into your hands Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. So now as they've come around the bottom of the Dead Sea. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau were there. The descendants of Moab were here. The descendants of Ammon were here. And now they've come up alongside uh, the northern part of uh, the Dead Sea. And there's this people, uh, the Amorites. And he says, I've given them into your hands, so begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Now, is their time. Will they obey? Will they trust God? Well, they did. First of all, they sent messengers offering peace. Let me, let's pass through your land. We'll keep to the road. But uh, the same offer they gave to the, the descendants of Esau. But Sihon, verse 30, king of Heshbon would not let us pass through for the Lord had hardened his heart, made him obstinate. obstinate. He came out against them and the Lord gave them a great victory against this man. They took his cities, they possessed them and they began to see victory as they walked in obedience to the Lord. What an encouragement after all that we hear in their history. They, they, they restrained themselves when the Lord said no. They've now fought when he said yes. And they're walking in obedience and beginning to possess part of the land that would be is the, the land that God promised Abraham many years before, but they've still never fully experienced all that. Same thing now, and when we get to chapter 3, is going to happen to Og, the king of Bashan. God told him to go to his land and uh, to attack, and God would give them the victory. But I just wanted to note verse 37. So this is what made me think of it in our course of... Uh, uh, in our thoughts tonight from chapter 4. In verse, chapter 2, verse 37, he says, Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, 
anywhere along the river Jabbok or to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Wherever the Lord said, don't go, they didn't go. Where he said to go, they did. And so the Lord made a note that they were being obedient, not just when he said attack, but even restraining themselves. And this is good self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. Brother Malcolm was mentioning from the study in Ephesians, when he mentioned being full of the Spirit, but the verses that lead up to the command to be keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5. Speaking of not walking or doing the deeds of darkness like the world does, he says to come out from them. He says to expose those things that they may be brought into the light. But then he says this in verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. How many times we read in Deuteronomy, the Lord said, keep watching yourselves. Be careful, alert about what you yourselves are doing so that you can watch your own heart and life. And he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly and not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he says, if you wake up and are alert, rise up from the sleep and the dead and the lost, Christ will give you light so that you can walk circumspectly, so you can make the most of your time because you can only pass through here once and understand what the will of the Lord is. All that is leading right up to where he says, then don't be drunk, controlled with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So if we're going to walk filled with the Spirit, we've got to walk circumspectly, carefully choosing our steps. And this is what God is calling the people of Israel to. Watch your steps. The previous generation was controlled by their emotions, by circumstances, not the Word of God. But we need to choose a different path, just like they did. Watch yourselves. Have the self-control to focus on God, obey His Word, not, not giving in to our emotions and our situations, our circumstances. So when they come to King Og of Bashan, uh, they also attack, and the Lord gives them a great victory. And uh, then Moses divides up that land between those, those uh, tribes who, were, who wanted the possession on that side. But he said, you must go over and help your brothers as they fight. And uh, then you can come back and settle in that land. If I could just say in passing, a note about chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. As Moses is beholding the victories. Notice what he does. Verse 23. I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and like your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. He still wanted to go in. It's what he had been hoping to lead the people for, but his own disobedience had disqualified him. But he still wanted to go in. That's commendable. He wanted what God wanted, even though he couldn't enter into it himself. But secondly, the honesty with God. When we pray, sometimes we pray things that we think we're supposed to pray and not necessarily fully being honest with God with our hearts. 
But Moses was honest with God, and yet God had to say, no, the Lord was angry with me on your account. He would not listen to me. So the Lord said, enough, speak no more of this matter to me. And uh, I know in my own life there have been times where I've hounded the Lord about something, and finally I realized he was just saying, Dave, let it go. Let it go. And I've got to tell you, what a relief when you finally give up something God wants you to let go of. It's hard. And what, what, what's difficult for me to give up may be laughable to you. But what you may have trouble giving up may mean nothing to me. But each of us have our own hearts, our own burdens, our own desires, and we can give those to God. And so finally he gave it up. But God did say, I want, I'll let you go to the top of Pisgah, and you can look north, out, north, south, east, and west and see the land. And you know what the interesting thing is? I forget where I read it or whether someone said it. But you know... He did go there, but not until Jesus' day. The Mount of Transfiguration, who was there on the mountain with Jesus? Moses. And so he didn't get there in this lifetime, but he did enter in in a different way. And that's an encouragement to me too. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I really blew it. And, and you know, But the, God's dealings with us may cause some delay, some changes, some things, some disappointments. But he's got good things waiting for us, greater than we can imagine. He was there with Christ. And uh, we're going to be with Christ in the ultimate promised inheritance in heaven. And uh, anyways, so he did actually get there a different way. So he commands Joshua uh, and encourages him, strengthens him. How did he do that? You know, I, I, um, the Lord told him to go back and, and command Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him. And we can read about that in Joshua chapter 1, right? He says, be strong. Have good courage. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Every place your foot steps, you're going to be able to conquer and possess that land. But he tells them how to be successful, doesn't he? He says, but this book of the law shall remain in your heart. You shall meditate on it day and night. And you should make sure that you observe to do according to what is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. So he gives him that secret for success. And it all reflects back to God's word. This is what God was teaching those, that new generation. Listen to my word. And so Moses comes back to them after this challenge and encouraging Joshua. He says, now listen, O Israel, chapter 4. I'm giving you these judgments and statutes, which... I'm, I'm teaching you to observe them. You need to do that. But he says, look, don't add to the word or take away from it, but keep it. Keep it just as God gave you. And they've seen what the Lord's done in the past. He says he'll be faithful to continue doing it. I just want to think about that for a moment. Keeping God's word. <clears throat> as, I, as I wanted to see what's the core of what he's really saying, I was brought back to a message we had months ago in Exodus. Perhaps it was because it was my message that I gave in our journey when they first left Egypt that made me think of it. But you remember when they came to where there was no water and they complained and God finally gave them water by throwing the tree into the bitter water and he made it sweet. It says this in Exodus 15. So he cried out to the Lord, Moses did. The Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there God made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, 
Give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, and I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought out on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He says, this is the statute and the ordinance that you need to know. Whatever statutes and ordinance the Lord gives you, do them. So that's the overriding statute. Whatever else I give you, you do it. You obey my word. He says, you do what's right in my sight, and I'm going to take care of you. And you know, they didn't trust him. They didn't do it. But now they were beginning to. It even encouraged Moses, though he couldn't go into the land. He could see God's beginning to work, and he was excited about it. And now he's telling them, so you... This is the statute. Receive God's word and don't add to it. Don't take it away. This is why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, right? Study, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's so much today that people are adding to the word of God. There's so much that's being brought up to equal status with the word of God. It might be experience, spiritual experiences, practicing various spiritual gifts. There's lots of things that people want to add to that. You know, we have to be careful of the same thing, adding to our tradition, adding to things that are more cultural, but equating it with the word. We don't add to the word, but don't take away. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I was thinking about this, <clears throat> another passage of Deuteronomy chapter 12. And this one is worth meditating on. He's giving them... He's developing, after, after chapter 5, they get the, the, the Ten Commandments re-explained to them. And many of the commands over the next chapters are kind of elaborating on some of the, the ways to practically apply those, those commands in their daily life. But in chapter 12, he says, this is verse 29 through the end of the chapter. He says, When the Lord your God cuts you off from before you the nations which you go out to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land. Take heed to yourself, here it is again, that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Now here's our food for thought. They want to worship Jehovah. They see the way the world is worshiping their gods. And they say, well, let's do that to worship Jehovah. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. I've told you how to worship me. You obey my word, don't add to it and don't take it away. There's lots of things that churches are, are promoting for church growth. Lots of ways to try to increase the numbers of the crowds. What we need is to be praying and getting out there to talk to our neighbors and friends and co-workers in the world so that they can get saved. And then they'll want to be in. But how, what are the ways that the world is telling us is the way to worship whatever God it is that they're promoting to worship? He says, don't bring that in your worship to me. That's a challenge. How do we engage our culture? How do we make sure that the way that we engage them and that we worship the Lord is both relevant to our world today, but also not bringing the world's ways into the Lord's 
uh, and adding to the word of the Lord as we seek to worship him. little challenge as he says this repeatedly. Do not add to my word, nor take away. And there are, of course, um, curses and warnings about twisting God's word and leaving some out. So, and of course, we know what happened to Eve as she added to God's word too. All right, that was one of my thoughts. The importance of obeying God, knowing God's word, studying God's word. I was just reading something the other day and it said how few people are systematically studying the word of God. We haphazardly read. We go to church and we try to take a lot of notes. But are we systematically going through and studying the word of God? Studying is work, right? And we're not in a generation that, that likes to put out all that work and effort. The, 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 re, the return comes slower than just grabbing a commentary or someone else's pre-study. Uh, but God wants us to study his word and to know him through it. Okay. My thought was about God's word. <clears throat> there it is. Chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8, 3. I looked them up today. I, I had read that all three of the verses that Jesus quoted in the wilderness when Satan tempted him are from Deuteronomy. In fact, Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Did I say that right? The New Testament quotes Deuteronomy almost more than any other book. There's four that are the, that are the most quoted. Deuteronomy, Psalms, I believe Isaiah. I forgot the fourth. Um, and Jesus quoted from it quite a bit. And when he was tempted, all three times were from Deuteronomy. 6.16, 6, 6.13, and here 8.3 was one of them. But notice, here's an interesting thing to note about this journey as God was leading them along. You shall remember that the Lord, uh, this is 8-2. Remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He says, the Lord let you go through those things. He let you get hungry so that you would reach out, look to him, and he would provide you this manna. But when he provided the manna, even that was part of the test. Will you keep God's word? He said, don't take more than you need today. If you do, it's going to turn to worms. Don't decide that you're going to um, take extra and then sleep in tomorrow. No, you know, and then he said, on the Sabbath, take, take extra on Friday. It won't turn to worms. It'll last you for Saturday on the Sabbath. It was all, why will it last on Saturday when it wouldn't last on Wednesday? Because it's not about the bread. It's about the word of God. And we stand on his promises. And he says, receive his word. Stand on those promises. Find him faithful. And he will lead us along that path. He says, Man does not live by bread, but we live by the word of God. Every word that proceeds from his mouth is important. That's why he says don't add or take away from it. And that's what Jesus was practicing. What was wrong with Jesus turning stones into, into bread? 
except that the Spirit of God had led him into the wilderness to fast. And the Spirit of God, the Word of God, had not released him from his fast. And so he didn't release himself. After the temptations were over, the angels came and ministered to him. His fast was over. But it wasn't yet, so he couldn't turn those stones into bread. He was living by the Word of God. And that's what he wants us to do. And it was the Word of God, the written Word of God, that told him to do that. <laughs> and he, that's why he quoted it back to the enemy when he was being tempted. <clears throat> if I could just highlight as our closing thoughts tonight from chapter 7. These people, having been chosen by God and now being brought into the promised land, Repeatedly, this warning came to them. When you get there, chapter 8 even said this. Chapter 8, verse 10 said, When you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. But beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, number one, by not keeping his commands. And then it goes on to say, lest after you've eaten, verse 12, and are full, you built beautiful houses, you dwell in them, and your heart is lifted up, verse 14. You forget the Lord your God. Next thing you know, you say in your heart, verse 17, it was my power and might that did all this and gained me this wealth. And you forget the Lord. He says, no, you shall remember the Lord. Don't let the blessings that you begin to come into make you think more of yourself. What is it? So he tells them in chapter 7. Here we go, verse 6. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. Yes, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. However, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. Why then? But because the Lord loves you. That's why. He simply chose you because he chose to love you. He chose to love me. We don't deserve it. We have no claim, but he just chose to do it. He says, so he has chosen you. He's made you a special people to himself and he loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And you and I, you can just read into here the New Testament teaching, right? Because he chose to love us, because he chose us to be his own special people, First Peter chapter 2, he's made us a royal priesthood, a peculiar people for his own possession, He's made us priests together as a people to serve him and to worship him. He says, so he's brought us out and redeemed us. Therefore, verse 9, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. He is faithful. He'll keep the covenant. We can stand on the promises of God. Excellent song for us this evening. And so he says, I'm going to come back to chapter 6 as our closing. He says, this is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land when you cross over, that you may fear the Lord your God. Interesting how often that comes up. He let you hear his voice, not to scare you away, but so you would have the right fear and reverence of him so that you'll, you'll want to draw near, not run away, to draw near. Cast yourself on his mercy, reverence him as he deserves, and walk with him, serve him. Worship him. So, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers to give to you. And he goes on and counts their blessings that they will be able to walk with him. And so the last thing that I had meant to mention there in chapter 4 was just that. He said, watch yourself, keep his word, take heed to yourself, and teach them to your children. How, pleased it, how pleasing it is to see all the families who come with their children to let them hear the word of God. Not only here, but it's evidence here on Sunday mornings how much the children are hearing the word of God in their home. He speaks to us as families and says, teach these things to your children. And it's a sad commentary. When we look in Scripture, Joshua got it. He led the people in. But where are Moses' children? Where are Joshua's children? Where are Samuel's children? Where are Eli's children? Somehow there's, this is one of the breakdowns. We take heed to ourselves to some extent, but we're not done there until we've passed it along to the next generation. And that's what he was telling them to do. You're about to come into the land. Walk with God. Trust His Word. Trust His character. Don't disobey, but draw near and follow Him. Walk circumspectly, but love Him with all your heart with all your affections, with all your will, with your strength and energy, dedicate them to God. And every opportunity, teach them to our children. Bring it up in our conversation. Make application to everyday life. Take every thought captive as we're learning in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It'll tear down the strongholds. It'll encourage our hearts to keep trusting God and not to let the enemy prevail against us. Well... I'm sure we've barely scratched the surface of the beginning of this book. But may God take these things and use them in our daily lives. Father, standing on your promises, we, we hear the warnings of Moses. Lord, he was one who suffered from disobedience to your word. He did not hallow you rightly when you spoke to him. And so, he did not enter in as he had hoped to do. Lord, all of us have one life to offer, only one. And as the poets say, it's passing so quickly, it will soon be passed. And we want this short time that we have to live to count for eternity, to be honoring to you, that we would truly know you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would trust your word. That we would, Lord, not become prideful with all the blessings we've received, thinking that somehow we've deserved them or, 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 or that it's our strength that has possessed and attained them, but rather, Lord, help us to be humble. You brought those Israelites into places where you humbled them, bringing them to a place where they had to trust in you and you gave them the grace and you gave them your word. 
And as they were obedient, they saw the outpouring of your blessing. Father, it's our desire that that blessing would pour out on your people today, on us today, as individuals, as families, as an assembly, as a country. Lord, we need the outpouring of your Spirit. But we won't get it by wandering in our own ways. We won't experience it unless we draw near to you, humble ourselves before you, and obey you, trust you, and walk in the, in your, in the ways of your word. Father, you've, you've made it so clear how many times you, you've said these things, and yet the people in the scriptures wandered away. But oh, we rejoice that you're not only a jealous God, but a merciful God, and that you will not forsake us. Help us again to, to open our hearts to you and draw near to trust you. Give us the, the fortitude, Lord. Fill us with the fruit of your spirit that we would be possessed with the, the discipline, the self-control to be in your word, to study it, to meditate on it, and to obey it. Not to add to it, not to take away, not to borrow from the world, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith that we would not grow faint and weary in this journey, but we would run with endurance the race that you've set before us. We thank you for this great cloud of witnesses that have finished the journey, that rally around to encourage us to learn from their mistakes as well as their successes, that we might learn from them, learn true wisdom, and walk in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.